0: Thanks for checking out the pilot episode of Smags, recorded with our inaugural guest, Frank. This was the show's test drive, and while the audio mixing was mildly rougher and the questions were wildly tougher, the bones are all the same. What you're about to listen to represents the first foray into the Smags universe, and I hope you'll stay along for the rest of the ride. A special thanks to Frank, who was a fantastic pilot guest and will be returning for a later episode in Season 1. With that, let the games begin. This could be for you. Exclamation point! Thank you, Chelsea, and welcome, audience, to the very first episode of Steve Made a Game Show, or SMAGS, as we're affectionately known. So, people love game shows. There's many out there. You know, you might have watched Wheel of Fortune, Double Dare, Figure It Out, Repo Games. Personally, my favorite is Jeopardy. Uh, I really do like to watch game shows with my family. I think it's a, it's a fun shared experience. Now, you might note I said the word watch. I wanted to transfer that experience from watching a game show into the podcast format. And today, I want to share that with you as an audience. So, thusly, I, Steve, made a game show. Quick rundown on the format. It's going to be a three-round game show. Round one is going to be a question set, similar to Jeopardy!, where I'm going to ask three different categories, three questions each to my guest. Second question, I'm going to ask the guests for their opinion, their persuasive argument on a certain topic or a prompt. They have a, a set period of time to then tell me why their opinion is the definitive opinion. In round three is what we'll call the lightning round. I'm gonna give them a category, and in a very short window of time, they've gotta rattle off as many answers inside that category as they can. So let's get started. Today's first guest ever on Smags is our friend Frank. Frank, welcome to the show. Hello, glad to be on Smags. Glad to have you on here. So this is, I'm sure, your
1: first appearance on a game show. Have you ever appeared on anything else? uh well i really tried to get on double dare back in the day but they wouldn't have me
0: family style or super sloppy super sloppy of course was that your go-to nick gas show or if you had one chance to turn on that channel
1: what are you watching if if uh i was going on to gas i was doing it for um jeez i'm blanking on the name what was that the aggro crag michael mallet Big Guts guy over here. I'm Big uh, yes, Guts, global, Guts.
0: Global Guts introduce us to a, you know worldwide audience. Yeah, there were other countries I, I wasn't aware. Send it up to Mo for the leaderboard. Mo. <laughs> we don't have a Mo on the show. We have Chelsea on the show. Uh, we do have your host, Steve, on the show. Um, and all of you out there, I don't know if you guys have a name yet as the audience. Maybe the Smaggies, we'll call you. <laughs> um, working title, working title. Well, we may as well just dive right into this. What do you say? Sounds good. Let's all right. So again, we're starting round one. It's the question round. We're gonna call it a grab bag of questions for you, Frank. It's tailored to your personal interests, uh, your strong suits that you are gonna excel in. I can predict it right now. Now, this this grab bag of questions, we'll call it a smack grab bag. Three categories. So to get started, category one for you, and you can choose which category you wanna go in in any order that you prefer. Category one, early Hey Arnold. Category two, Tim and Eric, awesome show, great job, products. Category three, YouTube songs. Now remember, there are three questions, and to clarify, they're of ascending point value. Question one is worth 50 points. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Question two is worth 150 points. Question three is worth 250 points. Okay.
1: So Quick clarification. Yes. Is this like Jeopardy, where there are clues in the earlier questions that may help, or can I go... The same strategy as that new guy and just go all out. That new
0: guy is is respectfully known as Jeopardy! James, James Holsauer. He is a hero and icon to the show. Were he ever be on this show, I would lose my mind, but um, <laughs> we'll keep dreaming for that one day. All right. um, in the meantime, to answer your question, you can go in any order you please. However, unlike Jeopardy!, I have not buried any Daily Doubles in here, so there's no chance of you uncovering a question that's going to give you a multiplier. Sounds good. You can just go easiest to hardest if you want to do hardest to easiest. If you want to just be like Arthur Chu, a prominent Jeopardy player from a few years back, he would just kind of skip around. Make yourself known on our show
1: with whatever strategy you employ. Sounds good. I will blaze a trail. What category do you want to start off with, Frank? Got to go with my strongest one, though. I am impressed by all three of these categories. Early Hey Arnold. (laughs) Early Hey Arnold for 50 points? Early Hey Arnold for 50 points, yes, sir. Here
0: we go. On an early Hey Arnold episode, there is a disease Helga believes she contracts after a provocative lesson from Mr. Simmons. What is this disease? The the monkey flu. The monkey flu, is your guess. If there were fractional points on Smags, I would love to give them to you. But as a as a student of the game, Frank, I can't. I can't. uh... Oh jeez. And it's the fifty point one. I'm so disappointed. The disease Helga believed she had was monkey nucleosis. Monkey... Oh, jeez. Should have given it a little more time to sleep in. All right. Do you recall how she learned about this
1: disease? How did Mr. Simmons present it to the class? Monkey's nucleosis was... It was like one of those old school slideshows... And he was like walking through all the different phases, and then she kind of had the psychosomatic responses to all of those after he presented that. And it was it's set up that each of those has like a more mundane explanation. I completely remember that. And episode. was this
0: the only time? Because you, yeah, I mean, I know you remember that yeah. she <laughs> believe she contracted it from an organ grinder's monkey.
1: <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes.
0: Biting her on the arm. Did yes. we see any other organ grinders in the Hey Arnold world
1: after that appearance? <laughs> Uh, and this is not a question for smags so no. absolutely but I can't remember the specific circumstance right now I want to say it involved Eugene or Sid at one point for anyone out there that's a big
0: Harold buff or wants to become one I recommend you reach out to Frank but maybe you approach him <laughs> with the answer to this question great way for this uh, unnamed listener to earn your respect yes right? absolutely Okay. Well, Redemption, on to question two And re- Hannah. Right, here we go. Okay. In Das Subway, Arnold and others become trapped on a subway train. Alright. List to me all characters who are on the subway, stuck there in the dark for way too long. Alright.
1: Love that reference. Uh, and... I am the the archetypes basically. Yes,
0: not all the characters are named, but try your best to describe them to me. So there are some named characters, obviously, on there. Yes. Oh, okay.
1: So including the our regular yes uh, normal kid characters. Okay. uh, Arnold, Gerald, Helga, Harold, um, blind guy, um, lady with. the phobia, her therapist. Yes. Um, wide open spaces. Uh, the homeless man. The get out of my house. Yes. Um, and I think I think Rhonda and Nadine may have been there. Okay, there. Darn close again.
0: People you missed. The two most unremarkable characters. There's. Man who has newspapers for the pregnant dog, which we could say is a second character, maybe a little redemption. Do you know the dog's name? Max Killer. Killer. Okay. <laughs> There's a woman who was a nurse.
1: All right. Yeah. And, and
0: then the one other friend you missed, Phoebe, joined them as well. Oh, of course, Phoebe. Yeah. You're doing great, Frank. I'm just sorry I, I'm, that I can't. I, yeah, all for two. Points. This is rough.
1: Yeah. On Hey Arnold, I'm disappointed in myself. Early Hey Arnold. These are yeah.
0: these are some of the, the probably least watched episodes because they really hit the groove in the later seasons. Oh, there are no least watched episodes for me. <laughs> Question three. This is the big money point. Okay. You can get this. This is such a level of Hey Arnold specificity that only one person on earth, I believed, could answer this and it was you. All right. Let's go. There is a boy who attends PS 118 with Arnold named Seymour Stump. Who is he? I point to the clue one more, the category one more time, early episodes to try and narrow your thought. How much time do I have
1: to kind of maybe percolate on this? Yep, you have a little bit
0: of time. Okay, so you can think about maybe some of the earlier episodes, especially those that would include PS one eighteen wide scenes,
1: Um, because uh, I'm gonna kind of talk through this a little bit. I remember uh, Seymour Seymour seem where he's like crazy or something um <laughs> all right i'm gonna punt on this and just kind of guess i'm so disappointed that i i got all of the hair on questions wrong um you're really close because the the question
0: i didn't ask you necessarily the name of the episode so if we, if we want to really try and think about this it's just who is this so you remember that voice do you yes. remember anything that could be saying that voice giving off that
1: voice uh it was Geez, no, I'm just remembering, I think it was on an intercom or something, somebody repeating Seymour, like, so, okay, uh, he is a guy that is famous of urban legend or suburban legend, and he's he's uh, crazy, and shenanigans happen at PS 119 involving Seymour Stump. Not quite, okay.
0: though... What you walked me through, you were getting to the direction you need to be. I'm confident that you at least identified, based on this really specific name, what scene it was from. I am going to executive privilege, smags bonus points. I'm going to give you 50 points for it. Thank you. Seymour Stump was the boy from the spelling bee who cheated (laughs) with an earpiece. Yes! His mom fed him his answers. Yes. And then the earpiece fell out. We never saw him again. There's strict punishment for cheating.
1: Yes he's like dragged away screaming. I didn't I swear. He
0: never showed up in PS one eighteen
1: again. Nope. His mom I mean she was hidden in the park with the walkie talkie. We have to assume he was he was thrown to Big Caesar. We never saw him again. I like that
0: answer. Okay. We can move on to another category now. You've got Tim and Eric, awesome show, great job products, or YouTube songs. What okay, you I'm gonna go, go with YouTube songs for fifty. Rick Astley's seminal hit, Never Gonna Give You Up, achieved a second life on the internet, all thanks to his eponymous viral phenomenon known as the Rickroll. Frank, what year was the original Rickroll video uploaded to YouTube? Educated guess 2006. 2007. So close. Was thinking. Okay. So close. <laughs> uh, Rickroll was not, I guess, a. Uh, an infant youtube phenomenon but year one year two yeah, is when right it really around the beginning took off so darn close man let's go with the next one okay slide to the left slide to the right and do the cha-cha do the cha-cha in double dream feet john jacobson does this move twice what is the very next move he instructs his audience to do
1: double dream hands A valued guess. Double dream feet. Please. Bounce your shoulders.
0: Give me some shoulders. Give me some shoulders. (laughs) I may have gone a bit hard on the questions.
1: It's really tough. (laughs) And on that note, let's go to the 250 point question. All right, let's jump right there.
0: How many yes did Eduard Cahill deliver on the first verse in the YouTube song Trollalo? Love this. Uh, shout out to Green Kill Zone, by the way. This, for the audience, is a remix of the song Trollolo with the Sonic Green Hill Zone uh, background music <laughs> from the Sega Genesis game, Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, uh, so how many Yololos? Yeah, and the first one, when he starts off, there's a rhythm to the song, right. and he says the word Trollolo, like...
1: Trollolo, Trollolo, five. Eleven. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> well we've got right. one more category for you, Frank.
1: <laughs> I am having a rough time. Wait, was that the end of YouTube, YouTube songs? songs? Oh yeah. Okay. Tim and Eric,
0: awesome show, great job, Friday. Right, come on, Cinco. Here we go. For fifty. What are the businessmen seeking assistance to find when they dial up the mancierge?
1: Uh <laughs> they're looking for a good Thai food place. Do you know the location where? Really? Was it it Thai food? It was not. So I'm trying to save you here. Pizza? (laughs) Jesus. Was it pizza?
0: Looking for a pizza restaurant.
1: (laughs) Pizza restaurant? Okay. (laughs) Can you give that to me? I'm (laughs) floundering.
0: We are. We're we're a generous group here at (laughs) Snacks. So you. uh, you were there. You were there. Okay, moving on. So for 150, give me two of the Cinco FaceTime Party Snoozers
1: automated responses. All right uh sure why not that's one and thanks for coming
0: bingo okay (laughs) you also could have guessed i understand okay sounds good but we accept you uh your your answers and you get 150 points so we're moving right on and the last one how much in u.s dollars is one terry token worth uh 79.99 $39.99. Thirty nine ninety nine, oh. more valuable than we are less less valuable, more of a bargain than we thought.
1: Two Terry tokens. Does not fit on all faucets. Frank, I um, I, I just want to prove that I know about these topics, you, as as arbitrary as they are. You do.
0: This was uh this was a tough category. I think I'm gonna have to um, revisit the the difficulty on the questions because. Just a um, It's a tough one, but you know what? Maybe this is just a tough game. It, it's not for the faint of heart. It's not for the faint you of heart. You stared this down with
1: two eyes blazing, and so credit to you. I, I remembered the Seymour line. That shows a deep level of Hay Arnold nerddom, if nothing else. Incomparable, some <laughs> yes. might say. Well, that ends round one. That ends the smag
0: grab bag. Um, we will move on now to round two. This is if you remember the persuasion round, you have to use all the rhetorical devices that you may have learned in high school. We call this not only your opinion, but your Steve opinion because Steve made a game show and Steve wants to hear your opinion. So Frank, I want to hear your Steve opinion right. on the following topic. Going to make up make up for lost ground here. You really can gain some big points based on we how well you argue your thoughts on this. Here we go. Largely by the end of Game of Thrones season six, the TV series had surpassed the original source material from the published novels. Frank, for round two, convince me how you would have handled season seven and eight differently to provide a more satisfying conclusion. Use empirical evidence such as existing plot threads, implications from previous scenes, novel material, production notes that you may have read, etc., to support your claims. Handle this as broadly or narrowly as you feel is appropriate and
1: provide me a compelling and cogent argument. All right, and just a reminder, how much time do I have on my hands for this one? You have approximately 10 to 15 minutes. All right. Uh, So first, there's going to be a big structural change in that these will be two full 10-episode seasons, uh, so it gives us a little more room to work with rather than kind of the six episodes, seven episodes, truncated versions that we got. So uh, starting with really need to go someplace meaningful with Arya's character they did not do anything with her basically except I don't she got naked at one point so for that what that's worth All right. uh, so I would probably have her decide to go to King's Landing to try and kill Cersei and she comes across like Gendry there and he convinces her to come back. So let's let's start with that plot development uh moving forward that she doesn't just arbitrarily decide to go home because Ed Sheeran says so. Two have Jon Snow and the Sansa stuff from season seven build up in a more meaningful way because we got some tension with sansa not telling john about the knights of the Vale coming in season six so it's been established sansa sort of trusts john but not entirely and then they don't do anything with that in season seven and then it comes back up in season eight almost like because they needed to it was a big plot contrivance so how about uh in season seven they have uh, John coming back for uh, for a little bit, and and trying to manage the the lords of of the north, and maybe they are themselves resistant to him uh, trying to say that the White Walkers are coming. That's one thing. You know what? Great point, Frank. Thanks for bringing that up. The White Walkers were established as something that nobody believes in. They are a thing of legend. And the only ones who even sort of talk about it are like the Wildlings, who everyone thinks are crazy savages, and the Night's Watch, and uh, and everyone thinks that they're this weird penal colony. So it's established that the White Walkers are, you know, this thing that no one believes in. So it's kind of strange that starting in Season 7... Everyone just kind of takes John's word for it that the White Walkers exist. Not only the Lords of the North, who didn't back him against Ramsay, who also didn't believe that the White Walkers existed, but the Knights of the Vale, who only came there because Littlefinger wanted them to, uh, and because he basically threatened Lord Royce with a with, uh, death by Robin Aaron throwing him out of a, a window... To, to send the Knights of the Vale up there. So why do the Knights of the Vale suddenly say like, you know what, we're just going to do anything Sansa says and we're just going to hang out here in Winterfell for no apparent reason in this potentially decades-long winter that's about to come? Did this kind um, of betray, in your opinion, what had been built up in the previous six seasons what, of their behavior and characterization? It's not just the behavior and characterization. I think what annoys me the most is that this is a established world with realistic consequences to everything. And that is what made everything in those previous seasons so compelling. People talk about the Red Wedding or the Purple Wedding or Ned's uh, execution as these big surprising moments. Oh my god, what a twist. They weren't twists. They made perfect sense. If you were really like paying attention to what those characters were like that were involved in those events... And the plot leading up to it. At one point, Lord... Or, uh, Roose Bolton lets Jamie go. The episode before the Red Wedding. So you know Roose Bolton is, you know, not trustworthy. You know that Walder Frey is not trustworthy. You know Rob Stark is kind of on a losing streak. There's reason to believe this isn't going to work out well. And so the, the twist is that we've been conditioned... Through storytelling, to think that everything's going to work out well for our heroes. That is not what happens in Game of Thrones, because that's not what happens in real life. All of that is thrown out the window in season seven and eight, just for giant plot contrivances of like, isn't this convenient that this would happen? The biggest thing I would probably change is Tyrion needs to not be an idiot for at least five seconds. Everything Tyrion does is obviously stupid. Everything Cersei does is obviously stupid, but for some reason, everything Cersei thinks of works out, and everything Tyrion thinks of doesn't work out, and it's just because Cersei needs to win against overwhelming odds for no reason. Uh, What was the stupidest thing, in your opinion? The stupidest thing? In Cersei's seven and eight plot line. Okay, I could go on for days about this, but in particular, Cersei is in debt the the whole Iron Bank is, you know, coming after the crown because they're so much in debt. And so Cersei's big idea is to lead a military campaign led by the Tarleys, who are vassals of the Tyrells, to conquer uh Highgarden, take all of the they just stole the money, they brought it to King's Landing, and then they gave it to the Iron Bank. So now the Iron Bank are very smart people. They have an understanding as to giant troop movements. So they would know that a military campaign was run against High Garden to steal a bunch of money, and then Cersei used that money to pay them back. Now they almost immediately then extend a loan to her for that she then uses to uh, hire the Golden Company. Why would they do that? Uh, if uh, tell me, Steve, you're you're into finance. If someone stole a bunch of money and you knew they stole a bunch of money, and this was somebody who previously you thought had a lot of money and they needed to steal money in order to pay back a loan, would that convince you that this person is actually a low risk or a high risk candidate for this loan in, in your expert opinion? Assessed as a low risk.
0: I think I missed the question, actually. I was so enthralled by what you were asking. I would not
1: loan this person money. That is, okay, exactly. (laughs) They're high risk. Um, (laughs) I figured we could fix that in editing. (laughs) Yeah, so the Iron Bank, they're backing her. Why? Not only that, though, Tyrion was master of coin in season three. Tyrion was aware that, in fact, the Lannisters were broke and they were in a lot of debt to the Iron Bank. Why on earth wouldn't it have been Tyrion to think, use the Iron Bank. We need to have the Iron Bank, at the very least, not support Cersei. On top of that, why would the Iron Bank extend them alone, send a giant army of mercenaries to fight dragons? They know that the dragons are going to win. They'd say, how about we just step out of this and and let them fight amongst themselves? And then establish a line of credit to whoever wins. What what are they gaining by backing Cersei? Absolutely nothing. It's a stupid plot contrivance. The D D don't know what they're doing. I would have Tyrion be a lot smarter in season seven in terms of his his campaign to defeat Cersei. And I would have Cersei lose fairly early on. And then the difficulty being, how does he deal with Cersei? How does he deal with Jamie? How does he deal with Daenerys wanting him to kind of punish his family or even have him be vengeful, have him kind of lose his way and find that he's, uh, you know, at one point in his trial in season four, he says, I wish I was the monster you think I am I wish I had enough poison for the whole pack of you I would gladly give my life to watch you all swallow it why doesn't he come to Westeros with that kind of vengeful spirit that would be an interesting growth in his character it, it kind of leads to this whole hey Jamie had a redemption arc Tyrion kind of descends into, into madness and vengeance that people aren't wholly good or wholly bad the battle between good and evil is within each individual human heart which is what George R.R. R. Martin always says I know I'm kind of going on for a while, so give me, give me a, you know, hey, shut up. You um, you still have time, Frank. You have the floor.
0: All right. I'm trying to think of any other maybe controversial topics in season seven or eight that you could have uh, planned a little better for. If you want to totally switch the ending, that's okay too. the The big one that comes to mind is who ends up on the iconic Iron Throne.
1: Do you agree with the decision? Absolutely not. Um, and how would you have handled it differently? so uh in terms of who ends up in the iron throne i i have to say i was from the beginning kind of a big daenerys backer even though i knew that it wasn't going to happen narratively speaking because that's just not the kind of story game of thrones is um or a song of ice and fire for that matter uh but i i thought that she was a good person i was like i like that there's this hopeful story that is in Contrast to all the darkness going on in Westeros that oftentimes when you went back to Daenerys, it was like, she is winning. She is the good guy, the good woman. She is a force for good. And she will once at some point come to Westeros and fix everything. And I get kind of the idea of like, anybody seeking power is not the savior. Uh, Anybody seeking power can be corrupted and they can be corrupted tremendously as if they have as much power as Daenerys has. So it was okay with them going Mad Queen, but you needed to start, like, right at the beginning of Season 7, if not a heck of a lot earlier than that. Almost, to kind of tie it back to Tyrion having this vengeful spirit of, like, I'm going to show Westeros that they were you know, they were wrong to demonize me. Or how about even I am going to prove them all right, and he doesn't even realize that by being the evil demon monkey, the evil imp that they all thought he was, the monster that they thought he was. Contracts Um, monkey nucleosis. Exactly. (laughs) From a a slideshow that Mr. Simmons was uh, playing. Um, Yeah, I would basically say, uh, in terms of that, maybe have Tyrion lead Daenerys down that vengeful path that maybe it's not necessarily her initial uh instinct to be so vengeful and so cruel and he's actually kind of the bad influence um uh on top of that basically i would say the only really satisfactory ending um in terms of who ends up on the iron throne is king's landing is destroyed somehow i would probably say it is cersei's doing as a last resort because they know that you know daenerys is closing in this is saying that the whole thing hasn't necessarily changed as much as i am changing it initially in season seven uh but let's just imagine daenerys is closing in cersei's got no no place to go she blows up the city and then they decide hey why do we have a a king or a queen at all let's just break up into seven independent kingdoms again which is what they were in the first place and, and have that be John's idea. That they want John to be king, and he's like, I don't really think it's a good idea for anyone to be king. The real enemy was the Iron Throne the whole time. The throne itself was the problem. Uh, having that much power centralized in such an autocratic, hereditary monarchy just wasn't going to work. The throne itself was the game, some may say, and... Mm-hmm. You are on a game
0: show, and Frank, you have successfully completed round two. All right. You've given your Steve pinion, and you have answered the call. You have heated the call. You've given me evidence. You've used the uh, essential rhetorical ingredients of pathos, logos, and ethos. I particularly enjoyed that you used full-on quotes from Tyrion in your best Peter Dinklage. You even gave George R. R. Martin quotes in your best George R. R. Um, we heard long extended uh, soliloquies of plot threads, and uh, that's exactly what we want in a Steve opinion. So, right on. Frank, I am awarding you six hundred points for round two. Yes. that should catapult you after a shakier round one, as you admitted. But there's no shame in that. All right, Smags is a is a, is a competitive show, and this you a tough came one. to play.
1: Um, hold on. I understand that the six points is set in stone. I just have to mention this. The way Littlefinger died was the lamest thing in the world. Just want everyone to know that.
0: Just a little freebie there, <laughs> yes. tacked on for the audience. That leads us now into round three, the lightning round, where I'm going to give you a category, maybe a smagagory, we can right. call it. All right. With that category, you have, I will put it on the clock, 45 seconds. In 45 seconds, rattle off to me as many... Uh, qualifying answers in this category as you can. Uh, You'll get 10 points for each one you respond with correctly. So, again, 45 seconds. You can feed on some some good points here. Sure. Are you ready? I am ready. Let me stop the clock. Let me reset the clock. And, Frank, when I finish speaking, your time will start. Okay. For round three, your smagagory. By name, list to me as many tracks from Diddy Kong Racing as you can.
1: Okay, uh, Fossil Canyon, uh, uh, Boulder Canyon, um, uh, 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 Hot Top Volcano, uh, 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 Wingmill Plains, um, uh, uh, Haunted Wood, um, uh, uh, Whale Bay, Uh, (laughs) um, uh, um, the, uh, Whiz Pig Racecourse, um, racing a giant walrus uh what's what uh, Christmas village uh
0: 5 seconds
1: frosty village um and what's, what's
0: time my... oh jeez okay didn't do too bad all right frank we've crunched the numbers and you came up with a grand total of 8 correct Diddy Kong Racing Tracks. The the Whiz Pig one, it's officially unnamed to to the extent of my knowledge. So we're going to give you points on that. The Walrus Racing one, (laughs) a little iffier because we actually do have a track called Walrus Cove. Oh, jeez. Yes. Your eight correct questions translates to 80 points tacked onto your score. All right. In total, you have a grand finale smag score of 930 points. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> well done my friend that is, that's is—that's a strong score granted I have no frame of reference I don't know <laughs> if that's actually a strong
1: score in the end maybe and, I'm the worst Smags player ever but I'm going to think of myself as the best Smags as player as of right ever. now you are the very <laughs> best Smags player that has ever graced this TV show
0: <laughs> we'll fix that one in editing too we really will <laughs> well, Frank I hope you had a fun time I sure had this a fun time with you you are officially a Smaggy
1: Fine. <laughs> my name's frank and i got smacked you can edit all that other bs out right
0: thanks for joining us audience we'll see you next time here on smags